Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Freaky, the new uh, Bloomhouse horror comedy picture that combines Friday the 13th and Freaky Friday. You've probably seen ads for it because they've run ads all over the internet because uh, they really want people to go see it. We also are taking a look at a movie called Possessor, which you may not have heard of, which is a <laughs> kind of an indie horror film by the son of David Cronenberg, acclaimed 80s body horror director. Uh, we're going to look at some trailers, some cool things that are coming out, and we're going to get to the news. But first things first, Andy, you've been doing more interviews for the show. That's and I'm right. so That's jealous right. and I want to ask about them. Where have you been? What have you been talking about? Well, there was a, a huge uh, deal that came through today uh, between Cinemark and Universal, which we'll get into more depth with later. But uh, yeah, I was on, on a station earlier uh, talking about that deal, what it means for streaming and theaters and releases and distribution and all that. Um, and more on that to come because that that's a huge deal. We'll, we'll talk about that. Soon. yeah now i know what you meant when we were doing the show prep and you were like we'll talk about it when we get there and i was like no that's dumb i'll just ask you at the top you're okay there is a relevant story to exactly what we talked about and we'll get to it in the news starting now first story scorpion king reboot in the works at universal they're making the scorpion king again <laughs> uh for those of you who don't know the scorpion king is a Dwayne the rock johnson vehicle it's a spin-off series of the mummy not the tom cruise version that came out not that long ago but the Brendan Fraser version from like the early 2000s, it was actually super good. In uh, The Mummy 2, the Scorpion King comes along. He's this big, angry protagonist from ancient Egypt that's half scorpion, half man. And after that film came out and did okay, Universal decided they were going to greenlight a, a Dwayne The Rock Johnson version where he is the Scorpion King. And, and they made that movie and it did terrible. And now for some reason, they're rebooting it. What is this about, Andy? It's what bad. do you know about this? Well... They're remaking the Scorpion King, which yeah, which is weird. It. It's it's a reboot of a prequel of a sequel of a main. <laughs> like there's a lot going on in here. Um, yeah, it was a sword and sandal type uh, adventure epic in the in the vein of Indiana Jones um, from the early 2000s. It uh, wasn't a great franchise, but everything The Rock does can kind of do no wrong. Like, he's so charismatic. Everything he does is successful, even when he makes a, a bad movie. Yeah, something like, uh, Ram, I almost said Rage, Rampage uh, is a good example. So yeah. he will not be in it. He will not be the titular Scorpion King, but he, he'll probably make a cameo, but he will be, like, producing it, overseeing it. All right, real quick, pop quiz, because I'm curious if you remember this. Um, the year Rampage came out, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I need to stop calling him Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's just Dwayne Johnson. But for people at home who don't know, that's who we're talking about. Um, the year Rampage came out, he did another movie where he is like security in like a giant skyscraper. And he has like he's an amputated leg, right? You remember that? Yeah, yeah. What was that movie called? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. <laughs> I remember the ads for it. I don't remember what that movie was. If you know, write us in uh, at Offscript Film Review. Hit us up. Um, this is intriguing, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because the original movie did not do that great. As far as I know, it came out in 2002. I mean, it, it kind of came and went. I, and maybe they're thinking it like launched the career of Dwayne Johnson, but I'd argue that's his charisma across his filmography, not the Scorpion King. Number two, I mean, to me, I'm drawn to thinking of Tom Cruise as the mummy, right? Not that this is related to that, but the Scorpion King was related to the early 2001 mummy. So naturally, if they remade the mummy, maybe the Scorpion King is within the same vein of that, right? That weird universal 
dark universe thing they were doing with these rebooted monster movies you think this is related or is this just kind of its own thing i think it's it's its own thing it's even i at this point like kind of disjointed from the original uh, mummy film that it was related to uh i think this is actually the first major film where dwayne johnson was like the lead character uh big lead role role for him so i um yeah exactly <laughs> launched now i'm not Launch sure if it is a leading man yeah okay I yeah, guess. I'm not sure about that, but I, th- I think it is definitely one of his first big roles where he was uh, the the leading character, and he would go, you know, he's had a 20 year career in, in action films. Yeah, I want to say they did uh, some other kind of Scorpion King spinoff. If I'm not crazy, uh, maybe they maybe they didn't. Maybe I'm just overthinking it. But it says here that that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is definitely not going to reprise his role as the titular character, but may appear in the film in another capacity. I think it's a mistake. I think the best way for this movie to work, have Dwayne Johnson do it and just play it totally straight. That would be amazing. Then you got a movie. Like, okay, hold on. <laughs> Something's happening here. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I think this is going to try to be like a real thing. It looks like it's also being put together by uh, somebody who's also involved in the Scarface reboot. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I guess reboots abound. And speaking of reboots... Keanu Reeves, it says, uh, well, not Keanu Reeves, uh, a star of Constantine, the Keanu Reeves picture, says Constantine 2 is happening. The story's thin, but I'm interested because I actually think Constantine was a cool movie. Andy, what do you what do you, what do you know about this? I'm a big fan of Constantine as well. And for those of you who don't know, that's uh, a Marvel character or maybe a DC character. I uh, can't remember at this point. But anyways, uh, he's, uh, what is it, the Hellblazer? He, he, kind of, he fights demons. Uh, he's kind of an exorc- an action exorcist uh, of sorts, um, and and there was a very kind of gritty, uh, dark adaptation of this in two thousand five, which also starred uh, it's Tilda Swinton. I think is actually in there yeah. as well. Uh, Shia uh, LaBeouf is in that film. Um, mm. Rachel Weisz is in that movie. Peter Stormare is in that movie. Actually, a, a pretty strong cast, all things considered, for Constantine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I am. I was definitely a big fan. I, th- I remember seeing it in theaters and I mean, that, I, I think it'd be pretty cool to see, see a remake or re- reboot. Will, will Keanu show up himself? <laughs> right. So I'll talk about my opinions on Constantine briefly, but how, how this happened. Um, Peter Stormare, who played Lucifer in the film recently, uh, got on Instagram and posted this image. It looks just like a screenshot from another video or something. And Constantine, Peter Stormare plays one of the best versions of Satan in film history. He was very good. But he said on his post, quote, sequel in the works. I actually clicked through that. Uh, Which got people talking. Suddenly people are writing articles. Oh my God, Peter Stormare says Constantine 2 is happening. This is very thin. This is very thin. Nobody has talked about this. Constantine did not actually do all that awesome, which is why it didn't get greenlit for a sequel in the first place. Uh, it definitely had a bold vision, but the idea that the sequel is happening is a bit of a surprise. Now, Keanu Reeves is redoing The Matrix, right? They redid Bill and Ted, right? There's certainly potential in the age of reboots that that they're making a Constantine 2, that they're going to they're going to make another one. Um it, it's it's thin though it's real thin i mean this could be anything from a joke to them actually in talks to kind of do it to something is actually happening and this is a huge leak like we really don't know but 
I think the idea is intriguing. Andy, you you did like the original film. Have you ever read the comics? I mean, what do you? I, I no, I have not read the comics. So it was a was a, I was a fan. Like I enjoyed it. I remember it was, it, it you know it gets deep into this kind of like the the demon uh, side of the demon hellscape uh, side of things. Uh, it it like I said, really good cast, good action. Yeah, uh, there's there's an interesting point here. Um, well, hold on. Let me just say what I like about the film. I, I thought the Constantine movie was actually super good. Apparently, like, OG comic book fans, of, uh, like fans of DC's Constantine, did not like it a whole lot because it doesn't do a lot of service to the character that they under, that they know from the comics. And maybe that's true. It's not a great comic book movie, but it is a fantastic movie about, like, a washed-up exorcist who is, like, incredibly bitter and miserable. Um Man, Keanu Reeves is so good. He plays this exorcist who has lung cancer, stage four, inoperable. He's got nothing left to live for. And he's he's dealing with, you know, years of torment uh, from demons he's exorcised. And, and he's got God and Satan fighting over who's going to get his soul. Like, really interesting stuff. Cool action, cool set pieces, cool props. Constantine was a cool movie and it had a great cast. Um... And it never really came to fruition. So they did the milk and the other one is exciting. Uh, apparently, according to this article, there have been hints in recent months that DC and Warner Brothers might be considering making Constantine 2 with a video released to DC Fandom earlier this year seeming to confirm the original movie is part of the DC movie multiverse along other properties like Watchmen. So somewhere along the way, somebody at DC and Warner Brothers said, hey, we're planting our flag. We're going to say we're owning that. That is something that's one of our properties and, and we're involved with it. So maybe, maybe somewhere somebody's thinking, Hey, we can do something with Constantine. Right. And Peter Stormare, uh, uh, maybe, you know, leading the pack. Who knows? Well, especially like that was in the era before like comic book movies had really hit it big. Uh, mm-hmm. so it, you know, if anything, it wasn't very comic book like it was adapted from. Um, so I think it would be very different now. Yeah, I agree. Um, We'll have to see, I guess. I, I, I'm excited by the idea. I, th- I thought the Constantine movie was cool. I, I have it on DVD. I've watched it more than a couple of times. Um, but we'll have to see what happens. Next up, HBO Max and Amazon finally strike a deal to bring their app to Fire TV devices. Now, normally we don't talk a whole lot about smart TVs and devices, but this one's interesting because HBO Max is divisive. It's landed on pretty much every device except for Roku devices, and Amazon Fire Sticks and Amazon Fire TV devices. Uh, now they've struck a deal with Amazon. Andy, what's this about? Well, like I said, I said, uh, or like you were saying, that they've struck this new deal. HBO Max has had a really kind of rough rollout because signing up for the service was really complicated. Um, you know, if you had a t- TV subscription, it was one thing, or you could get it through a certain provider. You could bill directly. It's been very confusing, but it hasn't been it's not on all devices like you said it's not on roku uh which is a big problem for them and it's also it wasn't on amazon fire uh, up until just now so there's a couple of reasons it's not on these devices roku and the amazon like fire line of like smart devices turns out are like the most popular in the world right if you don't have a gaming console or like a specific model of smart TV that has these streaming services built into them, 
you have to go out and get like a USB stick, right? Or a little like $40 Roku stick that you plug into the back of your TV that can connect to the internet and can access all of these so you can stream your shows and watch them. So naturally, because they're low cost and they're consumer friendly and they're easy to plug in and use, the Amazon and Roku devices are super popular. And HBO Max is not on either of them until now. The reason it hasn't been on these is twofold, and it's unclear what exactly is the issue, but there seem to be two kind of warring schools of thought. One, the price. Uh, Roku and Amazon both charge a percentage of subscription fee for services that are on their devices. So Netflix pays a little bit out to Roku and Amazon to have their stuff on on on, on their devices. Uh, uh, it, I guess Hulu does the same thing, right? Disney Plus. And anytime somebody subscribes to that device, they also get an additional kickback. And supposedly Warner Brothers didn't want to do that. They're like, no, no, no. We want to pay you our base monthly rate or whatever. We don't want a portion of our subscriber revenue to go to you just because people are watching through your devices. That's dumb. The other reason, and this one seems a bit more logical, but I'm not sure, is apparently uh, these companies, Roku and Amazon, have relegated HBO's services to like a subset of a channel on the menu. Like you gotta, you gotta menu a couple of times to get through it. You gotta go down a couple of menus and trees to actually find the HBO service you're looking for. Whereas like Netflix, Hulu, Disney plus they're premium. They're on the homepage. They're the top of the pops. And Warner brothers told them, Hey, that's what we want. We want to be treated like a premium service. We won't, we don't want to be a subset of a service or however they've got it organized. Amazon has relented. Apparently now when it comes to Amazon devices, HBO max will be like one of the first thing that comes up on the screen and they're happy about it. Roku, however, still has not. So if you're on a Roku device, like my poor parents, <laughs> you cannot <laughs> access HBO max content. You still, you can still access old HBO content, HBO now or HBO go. Um, you cannot get HBO Max, and they're still working on a deal, so stand by, I guess. Parents, sorry, Mom and Dad. That's the deal. Um, any thoughts Dad on this it. one, Andy? There's not a whole lot to no, it. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, just, uh, other I than know. it's, like I said, the big problem here is that it's been very, very complicated rolling out HBO Max. Luckily, I just have subscribed to them directly, and so I just bi- get billed directly, and it's not through, like, Comcast or AT&T or, you know, that's... It's that for some reason they overcomplicated getting HBO, um, and it was I think inherently because it was already an existing service. So yeah, this, this a, helps. This is one step in the right direction. I got a great laugh the week HBO Max premiered because you and I were were talking about it on Slack trying to figure out how to get in it, and the first day you could and I couldn't, and I couldn't log into HBO Max with like my old credentials, and you were like you had to download the app. Later that week, uh, John Oliver does his show last the week tonight with John Oliver on HBO. And he says straight up on the show, he was like, what's HBO Max? Are we on it? (laughs) He's like, I don't even have it. I don't think. And I have an HBO subscription. Like, I don't, I don't understand how it works. I have an HBO series. Yeah. Their marketing was like so backwards on it, on whether or not it worked. So uh, another brief bit of HBO information, not that this isn't completely overload anyway. Apparently HBO Go is getting sunsetted. And they're going to convert HBO Now to just a base app called HBO. So HBO Go and HBO Now, not going to have to worry about them. It's just going to be HBO and there's going to be HBO Max. And why anybody would be subscribed to HBO versus HBO Max, I don't know. I think they're the same cost and HBO Max has more content. But I guess if you're on a Roku device, you don't have a choice. So hopefully Roku figures it out. Warner Brothers figures it out. We all get back on track. We can all watch our shows. Um that would be ideal. Yeah, the the idea is to eventually have everyone on the HBO Max 
app. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, the thing is there are still a large block of TV subscribers. And so that's why they have to continue that support for that. But ideally every, everything else that's not like traditional TV will go to HBO max. Right. Our last story, uh, Universal and Cinemark strike historic deal to shorten theatrical window. This news actually came out just earlier today. So remember when you're looking for hot movie news, off script film reviews, the place to get it. Andy, what is this about? And does AMC have something like this? Because I swear I've read this story before. Yes, uh, this is huge, huge news. And this is very similar, but it is different from the deal that AMC struck with Universal a couple of months ago, which everyone laughed at and everyone said this isn't sustainable. No one's going to get on board with this. No one wants to do this. And now Cinemark, which is the third largest chain in the country, is um, hopping on board. So what this is, is uh, the details are, uh, whenever a new film comes out, if it's a big film, like a, a Marvel film, if it makes over $50 million in the opening weekend, it will play for a minimum 31 days before being available to rent on premium video on demand for $20. And the theaters will then get a cut of those uh, early day early rentals that they do. Um, so this is what huge. It, it protects the larger movies and it pr- gives theaters a little bit longer window because the AMC deal was 17 days. So in under three weeks, a movie could go from being in theaters to rental. And that was a little bit too short for them. Um, and that, that option will still be on, on the table. But the big thing is 31 days till release. So Marvel comes out with a movie, you wait a month, and then you, you can rent it. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. And basically what it does is it gives studios and theaters lots of flexibility. They can kind of gauge to see how a movie is doing and then like push it to, to rental, a PVOD. Um, if it's not doing too hot. So that's that's the deal. And like I said, AMC had already struck a deal, and now it's Cinemark has as well. So I've got some questions for you, because I feel like there's some holes in this story and this deal that don't make sense to me, so I'm hoping you can clear it up, because you are, at this point, I mean, an official correspondent <laughs> of national t- radio and television <laughs> that's running right. this. Um, congrats, by the way. I love that you're doing that, seriously. Thank you for taking one for the show, getting out there and, and doing your bit. Uh, first things first, if a movie has to make $50 million, all right, to stay, to stay in theaters, and if it makes less than that, then it'll go to streaming after 17 days, right? Doesn't that incentivize some people who may want to stay in and, and not go out to see a movie just to wait a couple weeks, and then hopefully the movie will not make enough money and they can watch it at home? Uh, that's true. I mean, I think that's one of the nice things is that it gives the... Uh the audience the option of do you want to go to to theaters which of course right now might be a little risky um but also just sometimes people just would they don't want to go to theaters they don't want to deal with deal with crowds even when we're you know past covid and the pandemic um i don't think it's going to make that much of a difference because it it will actually cost you more to watch at home like if you if you don't go you're going to be paying 20 bucks in 30 days where you could pay you know eight to ten or eight to twelve to see it in in theaters typically it's a good point. I didn't think about that. Plus, law of large numbers. It's not like the nation is just going to up and decide one day, hey, let's all boycott movies so we can watch them at home instead. Nobody's going to do that. Uh, another thing I considered, uh, AMC has a similar deal like this with Universal, right? It's almost the same. I know the difference is AMC has some kind of revenue share in place. Maybe Cinemark does too, and I didn't notice it in the story. But I think it's something like if a movie doesn't do well within 17 days, it'll go streaming. My question is this, um, Universal struck up that deal with AMC and they said, hey, our movies will go to, in, under certain circumstances, let's say like this one, after 17 days, some will go to, the, to streaming, others won't. Why does Universal have to make this deal with Cinemark as well? 
Universal is the one who makes the movies. AMC doesn't own Cinemark. They're two independent theater chains. So if Universal decides, hey, we're going to push to a 17-day window and then we're going to, to, to streaming, that's that's that, right? Cinemark has to play ball. Why are they why are they negotiating, I guess? Well, you know, that, that's a good point. Well, the thing is the AMC deal is going to become this deal. Like the the, yes. the deal the deal that's been worked out, like this is the the better deal, but most, mostly because they needed protection for larger films, mm-hmm. you know, because they couldn't have, you know, you can't have a Marvel film or like a Star Wars go into rent, rental after three weeks or even five weeks. You know, a lot of it will depend on how popular, you know, I imagine something like Star Wars will play for six, six to eight weeks um in in a theater before or rental like that's probably not going to change too much what will change is kind of the mid-budget films or or like the surprise hit um i forgot your question (laughs) no i I was just wondering why universal is like obligated to make this deal with multiple different theater chains like i'm surprised they made the deal with anybody at all amc was particular because amc's ceo penned a letter in like vanity fair that was like we're gonna boycott all universal picture you know productions unless they cut a deal with us that was one specific thing cinemark didn't have that beef so it's a little weird to me that they're kind of doing the same thing with two different companies right they're the the ones holding all the cards they make the movies Right, but the but they don't have distribution, and they they got to work with theaters, and theaters just weren't gonna gonna play. They weren't gonna play ball there. They said we we won't screen your film at all, and then no then no one will make money, you know. So there's there's got give and take all around, and that's kind of what's happening now. You know, I refer to we were talking about Chris Nolan's saying that we have to think of the film business differently. You can't just wait for things to go back to normal. You have to see how things are now and kind of create new business models and that that's what's happening yeah well ultimately it's it's exactly what you said at the top right this is this is modernization like the idea of movies going to a movie theater and sitting essentially in purgatory over there for three months before it comes to streaming is absurd it's 2020 people are watching stuff at home right we have netflix we have disney plus there's no reason we should mandate to go see a new film you have to go to a movie theater vod works people like it give the people what they want right yeah, g- give the consumer options. The other thing, the 90-day window was perfect for VHS. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, And we're was, long past that. Yeah, it was great 25 years ago. Like, we're just not there anymore. And, and theaters are going to have to adjust. And this revenue share, you know, it, it seems a little... I don't know. It, it's, it seems a little capitalism for me, but whatever, right? If, if they're happy and Universal's happy, then we get to see movies at a reasonable cost. I can watch them at home or I can watch them in theaters. It seems like it works for everybody. So sign me up, I guess. I haven't, I haven't seen a downside yet. Yeah, so, yeah. We'll, we'll see what, how it, what it looks like when films actually start releasing. And I think that's the other thing is that they want to incentivize studios to actually release films. And by, by saying, hey, if you don't have a great theatrical run, we'll, we'll push to uh, PV pvod pretty quickly that's right 20 20 dollars you can watch it at home with all your friends Mm, boy make your own popcorn well that just about wraps the news for the week i'm excited to talk about our first film but before we do this is incredibly uh unprofessional me in the podcast world i forgot to open my coke zero so before we get started andy please uh take it away (laughs) freaky where am i I didn't get killed. Oh my God, why do I sound like that? I woke up in the killer's body. (laughs) And not only is that psycho wearing my body, he's killing it. Uh, So this is a new horror comedy from uh, Blumhouse. Uh, The same director and creators of Happy Death Day to You, which was like a Groundhog Day horror movie. 
Um, and this stars Vince Vaughn and uh, Catherine Newton. This is a body swap horror comedy family drama thing. There's a lot going on in this film. Uh, the story is uh, in the town of, of Blissfield. Um, there is a murderer on the loose, the butcher, the butcher of Blissfield. And uh, one of his victims becomes uh, Millie, Kath, played by Catherine Newton. Um, and when she's attacked, her and the killer end up swapping bodies. So the, the killer, played by Vince Vaughn, becomes a teenage girl. The teenage girl becomes six foot five Vince Vaughn. And so they have to try to, you know, so now she's on the loose. She's in the wrong body. She's committing, <laughs> she's committing murders because uh, no one knows who, who she is. And uh, so they got to try and reverse it and make everything right. In the meantime, we have a little bit of a coming of age story. Uh, Millie is a very kind of shy, reserved uh, teen. She's recently lost her father, her, her mother's a heavy drinker. Her sister is lost in her, her work. There's a whole lot of like, dark stuff but it's supposed to be a, a horror comedy anyways there's a lot going on that's our setup zach what'd you think so i didn't like this movie um <laughs> and here's the problem i think like 99 percent of people who see it will like it uh it just didn't ring my bell man and so we need to talk about what works what doesn't work why i personally didn't like it and why i think other people will like it because i'm really conflicted on it and i probably shouldn't be putting in this much effort on a movie like this but i'm excited to jump into it uh freaky is a, an amalgamation of ideas right freaky friday plus friday 13th slam them together you got a big goofy stalker walking around killing sex crazed teenagers and you got a body swap movie, or it's like a body swap comedy where, oops, we switched bodies. What are we going to do now? And, and and that gives you like this goofy kind of muted com comedy horror film. But ultimately, while it does serve as a fantastic vehicle for Vince Vaughn to kind of slip back into horror and just a little bit of that psycho reboot he did way back in the 90s, I, I think it just falls a little flat for me. But there's stuff that works well. It's certainly a very colorful film. What's the best place to jump into talking about Freaky? Well, uh, I just let me give my two cents. Um, I didn't. I didn't like this either. There's way too much going on. Like I said, it's it's part horror, part comedy, part family drama, part coming of age, part uh, like horror, like teen sex comedy. Uh, there's just a lot going on. The, the the thing is i actually think the premise is really good and it could work it could work if you if it was full horror or if it was just a lot funnier as, as well um there are some nice ideas in here but ultimately ultimately it didn't work for me um why don't we why don't we start with our plot yeah i think that's a fantastic place to kind of jump in and and before we get too far in again <laughs> Don't just take it on. Don't don't tell you at face value that Andy and I didn't like this movie. We watch movies every single week. We watch a lot of movies, okay? So don't <laughs> don't don't just assume. Oh, it must be bad. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> it's just maybe maybe one for me, maybe one for Andy. But let's get into it. So our plot is Millie, right? This 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 young uh, kind of nerdy teenager who does not look particularly nerdy, but they kind of try to do her hair down and make her look frazzled. It was like very oh, she's... much the she's all that. Uh, like yes. oh no, not a not like glasses and a ponytail. <laughs> right, you're not at all convinced that she's uh, this kind of like a loser, or anything. a loser character. Right, Millie lives in Blissfield, which I assume is in Illinois. Looks an awful lot like Haddonfield, Illinois, from Halloween. I think a very clear tribute. Uh, she and her two friends, I don't remember their names, but one of them is black and one of them is gay, uh, are, are going to school and doing their thing and they're trying to, her friends are trying to pepper up, Millie, you're a piece, you're awesome, alright, go, go ask that boy out to the homecoming dance. 
And in the meantime, Millie uh, is having some struggles at home. Her her father recently passed away. Her mom is still struggling with it. Her sister, who's a little older, is trying to pick up the mantle of being the masculine one in the house and is now a police officer in town. And in the background of all of that, the, the, the Blissfield Butcher, uh, a, a, a serial killer that comes out every every homecoming in town, is back and he's out for vengeance. And, and, and the butcher discovers a special Aztec knife <laughs> that makes him switch places with whoever he stabs. And then they have 24 hours to get back to where they were. Uh, after uh, the homecoming football game, Millie gets chased down by the butcher and stabbed. They swap places and suddenly the film goes very quickly from a, uh, you know, a Friday the 13th Jason slasher to a goofy Freaky Friday comedy starring Vince Vaughn trying to convince everybody he's a 16 year old girl. Um, you know, it, it, there's not a whole lot more to say about it. I don't think, is there anything I'm missing as far as the plot's concerned? That's, that's really like the whole thing. There's a crush so, in there. Yeah, that, so, I mean, yeah, there's a little bit too much going on in here. So Millie is, yeah, there's a family drama, loss of a, of a parent. Um, her, there's a coming of age angle. Yep. Uh, there's of course just the, the killer part. There's also this body swap thing, which I, I think there there's several analogies that can can be. And I think that's one of the problems with this movie is that it's rated R, but it feels like it's rated like barely PG thirteen. Like it, it has feels like P- a PG thirteen picture. Yeah, yeah. It, like it it has this really I mean pretty bad writing, but also it it hints at serious topics, but then never dives into them. Like. There, you know, there's this idea that that Millie goes from being, you know, a teenage girl to being this big, strong man, and that's one of the things that she's she like experiences power for the first time, and that kind of changes her. And there's also uh, several references to sexual assault or like perceived or could happen, and it's it's so weird because they shy around, they kind of beat around the bush, and then like they don't say or they, I don't know, it's really weird and kind of exploitative, and and like I said, it it feels like a PG thirteen movie even though it's rated r and it's like really missing out on an adult element yeah it it doesn't it's not funny enough to be a comedy and it's not scary enough to be a horror it doesn't really do either particularly well it just kind of walks you know just kind of walks the line, toes the line i should say walks the line and ultimately that makes it just kind of flat like it's not particularly exciting either way, uh, and 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 there's some there's some good there's some good murders I should say the kills mm-hmm. are pretty good. The first the first ten minutes of the movie opens with like a, a very classic slasher film kind of thing. We get, we get four teens who are having a party late one night at, at one of their parents' house or something. Just the four of them and uh, the Blissfield butcher shows up to kind of establish hey there's this killer on the loose and we get some pretty good just right off the bat four quick kills in succession. And they're pretty solid. Like, uh, Christopher Landon's the director of this. He directed Happy Death Day 1 and 2. He obviously understands, like, a good slasher, like, classic idea. Like, what works, right? Big lumbering guy. You got tension. You got some good scares. There's some, there's some clever bits in there. But that's kind of the best stuff. The beat-for-beat beat stuff. Millie walking around trying to act like a loser, even though she very clearly is not. The goofy high school kids who all look like they're a little too old to be in high school. Like, none of that really lands. The family stuff is super dry. Oh, my God. The family stuff, you could have cut that whole subplot. It's all bad. None of it needs to be in this movie. It's all boring. It's all bland. None of it's exciting. But we should mention uh, probably the, the big vehicle for what this is, Vince Vaughn returning to comedy, which he has not done a lot of lately. And he's pretty good, right? 
he's all right. I've, I've heard people like say it's an acclaimed performance by him, and I'm like, I'm not going to say he's award-winning no, he, or he's anything. He's definitely in this. he's all right. Yeah, he's, de- he's definitely a highlight. One of the biggest problems with this movie is that it's simply not funny. It's supposed to be a horror comedy, and there's zero comedy. There may so there's have, a couple there's a couple laughs. Yeah, that, right. there's, there's I may two. have laughed I may have laughed <laughs> once or twice. Like the once jokes are the yeah. jokes are bad. They don't land. But Vince Vaughn is kind of a highlight and that and it shows in the cast like everyone's everyone's a no-name nobody except vince vaughn so that's except where all vince this vaughn. yeah uh, that's where all the salary went to um so yeah and he has to you know act like an insecure like 16 year old girl um right. so that's actually a lot of fun especially because he's like a kind of a towering uh fig- figure six, so six so, four vince vaughn is yeah he's a big guy yeah so th- yeah. so that is an interesting like he does ha- have some good stuff yeah, that, like it's a good opportunity for him to be kind of goofy, and you do get some kind of cool stuff with like the switch, right? Because the the girl who plays Millie, I, what was her name, Catherine Ka- Catherine Newton, right? Newton, Newton, yeah, she's kind of dry, like just throughout the whole thing. Uh, I, I think when she's kind of playing Millie proper, she's okay. There's some character there, but once they switch bodies and she's now playing like this kind of ruthless killer, like it's just a whole lot of like smolder and like. Kind of, kind of just visceral murder for no real reason. Um, and, and you know she's okay. Like, yeah, it's, I, she's all right. Yeah, I kind of felt that way too. Like, unfortunately, yeah, when she becomes a killer, yeah, she just kind of has does the, um, the Kubrick stare, the the bad bitch kind of the, shine, wears the shining red stare. Jacket. Yeah, right. Uh, um, it, it's not really. Yeah, she she does, she doesn't like transform right a whole lot. There's a couple um, of go ahead. Yeah, it, it's just it, it's not super convincing. No, and you did point out something earlier. There are a couple of good opportunities for these these this kind of killer victim thing to kind of switch and swap over each other and have some fun. For example, the killer very quickly discovers in Millie's body she's very weak, very much like Chucky in Child's Play, right? Like, you are no longer a man. You are a much smaller figure. You do not have the strength you had. You do have a little bit more speed, though. That's kind of interesting. And obviously people are attracted to you. You can blend in. That makes sense. Millie becomes Vince Vaughn, right? She's now the killer. And everybody recognizes her in town. There's wanted posters up. Oh my God, that's the butcher. So she has to figure out how to hide. She can't just go talk to her friends. She's got to be this different person. But also she has strength and she's bigger, right? And she can throw people around, which Vince Vaughn does a fair bit of in this movie, which I think... They shoot it. At, they shoot it at a high frame rate, and they cut some frames to make it look like a throw is faster than a throw. But dude, when Vince Vaughn throws a high school girl into a wall, <laughs> it's a little. It's a little like, oh god, like that wasn't that wasn't funny or scary. That was just kind of sad, you know. So yeah, the, there's a lot of that in the movie where it's like, yeah, because particularly shows of strength. Um, just get really brutal and and it totally shifts the tone of, of this you know yeah. it's not really silly and funny and it's uh you know it, it's not really graphic enough or to be like a horror movie there where it's you know like like where you would have body horror or something like that it's just like it just looks like domestic abuse i don't want to dig into uh, kind of a couple other characters um you know we, we've got i really i i've got the imdb page pulled up i need to at least pull up their names so i have their characters uh, in mind, we have Millie, right, played by Catherine Newton, our, our main kind of final girl, the blonde. She's our, she's kind of our main character. She's all right. Uh, we've got her black friend Nyla, played by a woman named Celeste O'Connor. A lot of newcomers in this movie. I mean, a lot of names you haven't heard of, so I'll skip the ones that aren't particularly important. But she's really just kind of flat. 
I don't really remember anything she did in the movie. Uh, her gay friend, Josh, is much more interesting, um, but I don't think that's surprising. Right, a lot more charisma. You're obviously gay in high school. You have to be a much more kind of standout individual. Uh, the mom is, 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 is boring, and the sister, who's kind of become... The, the, the masculine police officer in the house in lieu of their father dying. Um, that's a little interesting, but also not particularly... She didn't really do anything in <laughs> the movie. It reminded me of Dewey from Scream. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll take that. David Arquette, sure. Like, just like the just, useless police. Yeah, like she's just kind of there and like isn't really important. Like I said, the, 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 the family stuff is really played up more than it needs to be. It's like, oh, wow, I know you're really struggling after what happened to your dad. They never really say what happened because that would be too mature for 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 freaky, right? Um, yeah, it's it's just it could have all gone. They could have cut the whole thing. They could have saved twenty five minutes out of the picture. Like I really, it 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 didn't need it. The high school stuff, the friends, the killer, that stuff works. The family stuff, it can go. Yeah, it's just. Um... Sorry, I saw some exciting news. I'll share with you in a second. Oh, uh, really? Re- oh, hold on. What, what do you got? <laughs> Uh, so Mank is actually going to be playing in theaters this weekend. Ooh, David Fincher's Mank? Dude, I love me some Fincher. Yeah. Fincher's the best. <laughs> Everybody go see Mank. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> anyways, playing it near us. So that might change what we watch at the end of, end of the show. Uh, yeah, the, the whole family, like I said, there's a family drama of that lost their father. Their mom's a drunk and she's kind of attached to the children. But it's like I said, there's, there's that is never really fully. There's like five plots in this movie. None of them are really ever developed and resolved. Right. None of them really go anywhere. There's a, if you're watching the trailer on Facebook with us right now, there's a, there's a woodshop teacher played by the guy who played Cameron Fry and Ferris Bueller. Fun to see him back. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of this like angry teacher uh, who, 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 she has disagreements with uh there there's some football players who give her a hard time uh because they don't think millie's very cool there's there's the 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 cool clique of girls at school who give her a hard time and all of these kind of very minor antagonists in a high school girl's life uh are are subject to obvious you know murder (laughs) at the hands of a killer uh, who is who is i don't know just walking around school mad that these people are giving her a hard time so you get a little bit of fun stuff in there. Um, I, I did want to mention th- this angle of like not addressing actual serious issues. This movie feels like a PG-13 movie, except for the kills. Those are violent. Yeah, that's um, like the one place that they decided to go like hard R. Right. That's the one thing that like if they had toned those down a little bit, this could have easily been a PG-13 picture. And, and one of the things this movie does is it just toes around actual serious issues i i said earlier the example of the father dying and 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 then being like well you know what happened to your dad last year i'm really sorry about what happened to your dad but we never find out what that is there's another great example where millie the killer pulls aside the popular girl right and the popular girl thinks they're going to gossip when really the killer is is looking to you know get, get, get the murder on and while the two of them are alone in this locker room, uh, Millie the killer kind of approaches the other girl quietly, and, and the other girl's like, "Hey, are you a? Uh, well, shoot, I I don't really go that way, or whatever she says. It's implying she's a lesbian, but they won't just say it. And it's like this is an R-rated picture. You can just say like high school girls know what the word lesbian is. You can just say it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But they don't really do it. Like they never, it never really goes all the way. It just kind of does this thing where it walks up to an issue and then steps back because it's too afraid to take a stance. It's like it's like PC. And that goes further with the gay friend and the black friend. And there's a couple times when they mention like pronouns, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, what are we trying to do here, right? Like. 
it's it's a movie that's it's just trying to do too much. It's got too many plot lines. It's trying to it's trying to please too many different kinds of audience members. It's trying to be too. It, it's it's it, too it whitewashed somehow, of, right? Of just, of just better movies. Like it reminded me of like I would much rather be watching Booksmart, you know, because the Booksmart has some of these same kind of character tropes, but they're so done so much better, like and so much more memorable. Right. And I think I think the director, Christopher Landon, like really does not do the high school drama stuff well. That's that's kind of his weakest spot. Um, but he does the killer stuff great because there's some there's some, like the kills are, are easily my favorite part of this film. And I thought in the first act, I was like, maybe this is like the later Friday the 13th movies because there's some very obvious nods to Friday the 13th, uh, Halloween, The Shining. Andy pointed out to me after we left that I can't believe I missed. Um and I thought maybe this is like the later Friday the 13th movies, right? Because in the later Friday the 13th films, you're supposed to like outright hate the teens. You're like rooting for Jason to murder him. Like you can't wait to watch these, these kids get canned. That's like part of the point. It's it's gore exploitation, right? That's what was going on in the 70s and 80s with those films. And I thought that's what this movie was. I was like, maybe we're not supposed to like any of the characters. Maybe that's the point. Maybe we're supposed to dislike all of them. But like no, no, you're you're kind of supposed to like at least your Millie and her friends, like and and the friend, you know, they're all right, but it just is a little I don't, bland. I don't know. It's and and that's ultimately what makes me think it's just not for us, right? Who is this movie made for, Andy? Who's the audience for this thing? Uh, I I mean, it's like baby's first horror movie is what this kind of reminded <laughs> me of. Like it's yeah, a little bit. Uh, and that's the thing. I, there are all these references to much better horror movies and classic horror uh, franchises. But like I said, it, it just feels so sterile and so childish. And it's a, a, a rated hard film. And I was like, how, why, why is there PG and PG-13 writing for a hard R film? Like, it just it makes no sense. Right. It's like it's like a Crayola box of 16 crayons, right, for a kid, except a horror comedy. Like, it's got all the elements it's got the, the it's got the teenagers. It's got the big lumbering killer. It's got the funny body swap stuff, but none of it like really really adds up to be better than the sum of its parts. It's just kind of lame. Um, but we did see this in a theater. Uh, there were there were probably what twelve teenagers in the back of the theater with us, and that was it. Um, yeah, and they were having pers- a great time. Yeah, five hundred person theater. Yeah, they were all hanging out, chatting. You know shooting the shooting the shit like they, they were having a great time uh, and and that did add a bit of an element in some of the slower lamer parts you could hear them back there talking and jeering at the, at the screen and, and and that does speak to what this film is supposed to be it's very much theatrical as a reason this is in theaters like i think it does benefit from like the theater audience right a bunch of people laughing and you know like it's, a, yeah. it's that campy horror comedy stuff that works but Nobody's going to movie theaters right now. So it kind of misses the mark that way. Yeah, it just, it's not, I think it could have worked, uh, but with a lot of changes. Like, first of all, it's got to be funny. If you're doing the horror comedy, you got to do the comedy part. So that, yeah. that, that part's pretty bad. You, you got to just have better writing. Um, it, it could lean, it could also have just been full horror. Like you could ditch the comedy part and just, because the premise is interesting, this body swap thing. Uh, could really go somewhere and it could like you know it's all happens from this like dagger and you could have it like i I was saying like jumanji where the dagger floats around to a new person and then there's you know kind of you could have a whole franchise out of it but it's it it kind of is it tries to be so many things and it's not any one of them well yeah it's it's worth mentioning christopher landon obviously uh made happy death day and then it made happy death day to you which is happy death day too 
Um, he's no stranger to like the goofy horror comedy sequel, um, especially with a kitschy idea like this. And and this mystical dagger of like Aztec power is never really explained. And there's definitely potential for that to come up again in another film. 110%. Like it never really digs into what's going on there. There's never, that's never like, Ooh, here's, here's the secret Aztec history of this dagger. Not at all. Ne- barely even mentions that it's Aztec power in the first place. I probably could have left it out of this review and you wouldn't have even noticed when you watched the movie. And there's certainly potential for this idea to be carried into a second, third film, third film. I mean, Bloomhouse Horror Universe. When are we going to get the crossover? Happy Death Day and and Freaky 2, yeah. right? When is that going to happen? Well, they like, got to start making more. Well, I think Happy Death Day actually did well as compared to this. Right, yeah. And, and this one I don't think will do as well, probably strictly because of the pandemic. If this has been a straight-to-streaming movie, I'll bet it would have done really well. Because the, Blue Mouse's marketing has been on point. I feel like I've seen ads everywhere for this movie. Maybe it's just me, but... Well, also, uh, in... In relation to uh, the Universal and Cinemark deal, this is actually going to go to um, video on demand by the end of the month. I think November 30th. Ooh, all right. Well, if you're looking for something to watch, uh, it's a shame they missed October. That obviously would have been the ideal time for this to come out. But, you know, hey, if you want a kind of Christmas. Every time is a good time for horror. Yeah, it is definitely... This definitely takes place in October and whatever the setting is supposed to be. There's a couple points where I'm like, I'm surprised they're not just talking about the big Halloween bash instead of the homecoming bash, but whatever. Um, I don't know. Yeah, strange strange way to frame it, but I can appreciate what they're doing, I guess. All in all, it's 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 a fine Vince Vaughn vehicle, I guess, but I, 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 I'm just a little lukewarm on the whole thing. Uh, Andy, you ready for recommendations? I am. All right. One other thing before we jump to it. Uh, the score for this film is, is, is composed by Bear McCreary, who is the composer of the new Child's Play remake. It's classic. It's like a very classic slasher score, so I can appreciate what he was doing in there. Anyway, Andy, would you recommend Freaky? Uh, no, I don't think I would. It's, like I said, it's supposed to be a horror comedy. It is not, it's not scary, and it's not campy enough. It's not funny uh, there are a couple a couple of laughs, and uh, there is a good performance from from Vince Vaughn, and I think Catherine Newton does what she can with the script. But the, it's really poor adolescent writing. It skirts around really serious issues. It does have good uh, g- good kills, good body horror and gore, uh, but everything else is, is pretty underwhelming, and I definitely was pretty bored through it. Yeah, um, I think I would recommend it, <laughs> and the reason is is because. Because the movie is just kind of so bland all around, it's kind of made for anybody. Obviously, it's rated R, right? You shouldn't be taking children to go see this thing. But, like, if, if it's on streaming, which I'm sure it will inevitably will be, and you got nothing going on, you don't have to watch, give it a shot. It's it's like 143 minutes, and it was a little bland for me, but, like, you'll probably like it just fine, right? I think if you're definitely a younger individual, you got a teenager or something, you don't know what they want to watch, I think they'll like this movie just fine. Like, it, it, it'll work. The kids in the back of our theater were having a good time watching it. Whatever. Uh, not bold enough for me, but Freaky is okay. That's, that's, that's my official opinion on Freaky, I guess. Mm-hmm. And with that, uh, we should move on to our next segment. We've got some trailers to look at. Uh, three trailers this week. Things that jumped out at us. Things that are new. Things that are old. Ultimately, movies that are coming that we think you might want to keep an eye on. Or maybe stay away from. Andy, what's the title of this segment called? It's time for the trailer park.
perfect. Uh, did we split up how we're going to talk about these things? Yeah. I'll oh, we did. It. You did. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at the outline for the first time. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, please. Pieces of a Woman. Uh, so this is a new drama um, that's coming to Netflix starring Vanessa Kirby, Shia LaBeouf, and Ellen Bernstein. Uh, Vanessa Kirby plays a mother who loses her child in childbirth and subsequently goes into depression. And it's the story seems to be about uh, how the the loss of the child affects her as a mother, affects her husband, child above, and uh, their grandmother, played by Ellen Bernstein. It looks like there's also a court case, maybe some sort of malpractice thing involved. Uh, Looks really emotional. Definitely looks like an Oscar kind of contender time type of film without being something as as uh, pathetic as hillbilly elegy um vanessa kirby it looks uh phenomenal in this movie and i've only seen her in action films uh she was in mission impossible i forget the most recent one <laughs> um that one and she then, was in mission impossible yeah, i don't know where i saw her yeah from, she was she right. was like the the arms dealer and then she was also in the Hobbs and Shaw, Fast and Furious presents um, kind of kind of spinoff. So she's done these big action movie action roles, and now she's doing like a serious uh, drama, like definitely going for for the Oscar in this. Uh, This definitely looks really good. Looks heartbreaking. So bring the bring the tissues. Um, But I'm pretty excited to see this. Yeah, um, it definitely looks like a star-studded picture, right? We got Shia LaBeouf in the backseat, which I think is smart, right? I think he, I think he plays a great supporting actor uh, when he doesn't it isn't necessarily exactly in the limelight. I think this will be a good opportunity for. Uh, you just said her name, and it's not Catherine Newton. I know that v- Vanessa Kirby. Vanessa Kirby. God, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, Vanessa Kirby. I think this will be a good opportunity for her to flex her chops a little bit and do something that's just a little bit bigger, right? Uh, Vanity Fair. If you're watching trailer as we're watching it on facebook here uh said it is a career defining performance for her so we'll have to see and of course ellen burston bernstein uh is is too too much man uh, oh my god like i mean killing I ever, it since requiem for a dream every time i see her i think of requiem for a dream it just makes me sad so she's going to be great she's going to be this fantastic uh character who reminds you that you should be calling your mom as soon as you leave the theater um you know it looks good it looks heartbreaking <laughs> A little, a little bit like, um, what was that? Manchester by the Sea, right? Like you knew yeah. that movie was going to be a bummer, like just going in. So like, it's hard to, hard to really commit to jumping into that, but it's on Netflix. It'll be something you're watching at home and hopefully some, some good life lessons coming out of whatever this is supposed to be. Pieces of a woman looks uh, not, not, not too shabby. What do you think? Well, and this shows like Netflix can make great, great films. You know, it reminds you last year, Marriage Story was kind of the big thing that came out Roma you know like they're possible they're it's it's pro- possible for them to make great Oscar worthy heavy dramatic films uh they just push so much mediocre films at the same time though sure uh, I mean amazing stuff has come out of them like David Fincher's Mank coming soon to a Netflix near you and possibly theater we're gonna have to find out more about that at the end of the show when I want to know the details on that all right um so that's the deal with pieces of a woman. The next two trailers and the last review were all up to me. Andy's sticking around, but I'm going to be the one headlining him. So uh, God, God, God willing, give me a break. Uh, the next trailer <laughs> is Tom and Jerry. So Tom and Jerry, the classic Hanna-Barbera cartoon is getting a reboot again. Cause I'm sure they've made some films for this before, but this is a live action movie. Tom and Jerry, the live action feature. Uh, Tom and Jerry are a cat and a mouse who obviously have been warring for decades and finally decided, hey, 
We're, we're, we're out on our own. We got to come together and we got to make it work real quick before I explain. Tom and Jerry are animated. Everything else is live action. That's the bit. They're cartoons. Everything else is real. Like uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's that's what's going on in this movie. Or Sonic the Hedgehog. Same kind of thing. Detective Pikachu. Same same kind of deal. Uh, that's, the, that's what's happening. Uh, so Tom and Jerry are, are out on the road and trying to find a home when they stumble into New York City into a very, very fine hotel where Chloe Grace Moretz is a young up and coming assistant manager and looking, looking, looking to excel. And for her to get her promotion to become the big fancy manager, uh, she has to catch this mouse that's on the loose in, 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 in the hotel. And to do that, she employs a, a, a tomcat she's found named Tom. So you got Tom and Jerry chasing each other around a big hotel. You got Chloe Grace Moretz trying to keep up with them, uh, doing comedy, which I have not seen her do a lot of. Uh, you got some other stars in here. Colin Jost is, is in this movie. Paul F. Tompkins, Ken Jeong. Uh, um, what's his name? Oh God. The guy from Michael Ant-Man. Pena. Michael Pena is in this movie. A lot of exciting individuals. <laughs> The trailer looks like some some decent animation on the side of the cartoon stuff. It's like the CGI cartoon thing they've got going on. And, and it looks like you're going to have some of the classic Tom getting beat beat to hell, uh, which is important in Tom and Jerry, right? Back then, cartoons do not take a frying pan. Like, it's not, it's not like nowadays where everything's really, you know soft edges and, and rounded corners like they're 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 beating the hell out of each other in those old old, old cartoons this looks like it has a little bit of that uh tom and jerry <laughs> andy what do you think i got bored halfway through this trailer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did like, too like, how does that happen like i just i couldn't keep watching this is, this is the first time i've actually seen the second half because i just couldn't um it looks it's good looks like it's probably great for the kids um yeah definitely aimed at much younger audiences it looks the animation looks weird to me because it's like it, 2D, yeah it's like a rendering of 2d hand-drawn animation it, it's so kind of strange like they probably should have just gone with like 3d a full like 3d model of of st- stuff so yeah it's some it's some strange uh visual choices um but like i said i i had a hard time it's definitely not for me it's not for adults um i'm sure the kids will love it yeah, it looks like they made, like, 3D models of Tom and Jerry to run around the world. But then they, like, textured them and skinned them in, like, flat, cartoony, like, color. So, like, if you took a picture or, like, a still frame of it, it would probably look like you've got cartoons in frame. But seeing them move around in the world looks weird and looks a little surreal. I'm anxious to see how Chloe Grace Moritz does Again, the comedy, uh, everybody else, it seems like as a comedy actor, they'll probably be fine. Uh, yeah, it, it, it looks a little flat. And I, I guess this is supposed to be kind of the next step in what Hanna-Barbera is trying to do in theaters. Uh, if you remember a little, little late last year, they came earlier this year, Scoob came out, right? That was a Hanna-Barbera animated film that was all animated. But again, CGI, a little bit of like cartoon animation look. This is a different look, but they're, they're clearly building on that property, so... Anxious to see what they do next, uh, I guess. Um, that's that's Tom and Jerry. Man, just just the just the summary seems surreal to explain. So Tom and Jerry run around a hotel. Chloe Grace Moretz has to catch them. Like, oh my god. Um, well, I still so, say Michael Pena will one day play me in a biopic. Someday. <laughs> Maybe you'll play Michael Pena. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's Tom and Jerry. Uh, the last trailer we have to look at before we get to Possessor is a movie called All My Life. Oh, God. I panicked and, and clicked the wrong thing. 
Uh, oh no, the trailer park thing's still up. Great. So all my life, excuse me, all my life is the story of uh, a, a love story. Is what it is. Based on a true story, the trailer tells us it's very sweet. Uh, I don't know any of the characters' names because they seem kind of forgettable, but. A young, attractive blonde woman in New York meets a young, attractive Asian man, and, and the two of them hit it off, and they have this, this this wonderful foster of a relationship. They start dating, they go out, things are going great, they jog together, they move in together. It's 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 right out of a Nicholas Sparks novel. My God. Like the, this, the sweetness of this relationship, it, it looks so great. It all builds this big crescendo, but then, oh no. He gets diagnosed with inoperable liver cancer. <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> Way to bring every and the down. and the trailer takes a hard left turn into we're in hospital rooms. What are we gonna do? I don't know how I can go on without you. And they decide, hey, you know what we should do? We should get hitched. Let's have a wedding, even though one of us is dying, because we love each other, and that's what's important. This is a and, and so they, they, they decide to go through with the wedding, even though it's going to be super hard. They plan this whole thing. They go to have the wedding. And then the trailer ends. And it's called All My Life. Oh, my God. This trailer plays like an SNL sketch. It doesn't even <laughs> seem like a real movie. But it is. It and I had to talk about it. Because when we saw the trailer for the first time, I did, uh, last night in Freaky. Because... My God, they're just going to run every trailer they can in front of any theatrical picture you go see because nobody's going to see movies. They're trying to capitalize on ad dollars. This movie looks so generic. It looks so much like a Nicholas Sparks movie. I mean, I, I in the theater, I genuinely started laughing at the liver cancer thing. It was hilarious to me. I can't believe this is a real thing. But there is one thing this movie's doing right before I get to it. Andy, what, what, what do you think about All My Life? So first of all, it looks like a total rip off of the Big Sick. It, it's like the exact same premise minus uh, Zoe uh, Zoe Kazan being in a coma through for most of the movie. Right. Um, the Big Sick uh, stars Camille Nanjiani uh, as uh, you know they're in a couple, they're in this relationship, and then uh, she becomes ill and she's actually in a coma for a lot of the movie, and he he has to then like kind of reconcile with her family. That's a very funny, very touching movie. This seems like a rip off, like a exactly it's like the exact same premise um it seems to not have the comedy element but it's just it's so ridiculously sad <laughs> in points it's just uh yeah it, it doesn't look great yeah it, it really doesn't uh, our, our our two leads are our jessica roth i think is how you say her, uh, who is as far as i know like the main character in happy death day she's she's the blonde in happy death day one and two i think at least definitely in one uh i assume she's the second one i haven't seen either uh, our, 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 our lead male is a man named Harry Shum Jr., uh, who was in Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, here's, here's what this does well. Um, we, we need, we need more diversity in Hollywood. Having a male Asian lead is important. And I think that's worth highlighting. Um, because their relationship does seem super charming. The two of them do seem really good in it. <laughs> like they, they seem very natural in the trailer. Like it seems like they get along really well. And that's part of what makes it look so cheesy. It's just like, oh, this is supposed to be like this really heartfelt, sincere thing. But it's just like so stereotypical. It's so overblown. Yeah. All it's, of, it's, uh, it, yeah. So there is um, this YouTube video that came out uh, about eight or ten years ago. And it was like Oscar bait the movie. And it was like all these Oscar tropes all rolled in into one. It was very clever. That's what this reminds me of. Like this is like 
sick and in love. The yeah. the, the film. Right. <laughs> They're both in shape and attractive and live in Manhattan apartments. What could go wrong? Yeah. Oh no, cancer. Like, <laughs> good lord. <laughs> we doing this is difference we go to see yeah the the trailer gives away the entire film like i don't it literally see... shows the wedding at the end like it's <laughs> yeah. in the trailer like it's i don't like, need to go doing? see it you've literally yeah. show, you've shown me the beginning of the relationship him getting sick and then the wedding so you assume he got better so right uh, or, or or he makes it to the wedding and then things go downhill from there it's based on a true story imdb literally tells you what happened in the true story these are two real people so you can look up what actually happens and then you don't have to go see the movie at all just watch the trailer it's two and a half minutes it really was like watching a short film like a very very short amended film in the theater watching this i was like this is the whole movie it just shows <laughs> you the whole thing it's crazy but i don't know all my life tell your mom she'll probably love it uh that's who this movie's made for. That's what this movie is. Anyway, we should talk about our final film of the episode. Hard right turn into this one. Uh, tonally, this is very different from everything else we've watched. The movie is Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. You have a very special nature. One we've worked hard together to unlock. So, Possessor is the story of, uh, what is her name? <laughs> uh, Tasia Voss. Tasia Voss, okay? Tasia Voss. That's a confusing name. I, I can do better. Let me rewind this. Possessor is the story of a young woman, an agent of a secret organization that uses brainwave technology to possess the bodies of other people, assassinate targets, and then escape that possession and return to your normal life unseen and unheard it is a very dark tale from the mind of brandon cronenberg the son of david cronenberg acclaimed canadian director of the 70s and 80s who turned out body horror pictures like videodrome uh, scanners uh, um the fly starring jeff goldblum really twisted stuff right of 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 of, of people people's faces melting and bodies exploding and and all kinds of really really crazy body horror stuff and all of that seems to have been inherited by young Brandon. Possessor is initially a tale of, you know, uh, 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 espionage and assassination, but it very quickly takes a turn into the dark and horrific as Tasia, our main character, upon possessing uh, the body of, of a young affluent man, uh, becomes essentially trapped and 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 realizes she is locked inside of this body she's not supposed to be in and begins to have nightmares while also trying to carry out very very ruthless very gory uh assassination attempts so this movie is a bit of a mind bender um the first time you and i heard it well i'll talk about how we heard about it I, what i want to know is andy what did you think of possessor so there's a lot of things that are really effective in this movie. Like there is some really graphic violence. It's very gory. Um, so there's a lot, there's horror elements to it. Um, it, it's like I said, it's, it's suspenseful. It's psychological. There's this kind of like, uh, I think there's kind of like a transgender allegory going on because she, she in, inhibits the body of a man. And they, there's even like, it reminds me of being John Malkovich where uh, sh her inhibiting someone else's, the body of a man, but then makes love to his wife. And so it's 
there's a lot a lot of things going on um some of the movie kind of has weird pacing and and gets really bogged down and gets a little slow in parts and the other thing it's filmed like a almost like a documentary like it like it filmed in like you can watch it in in uh like 4k uh, uhdr hdr whatever um so it, it's really high def really clear and so it it's hard to to look at it as a movie because it almost looks like a, a documentary or like you're watching the real thing. Um, but man, the stuff that gets right, it gets really right. There's some really intense things in here. And there, there was one moment I was like, are they going to go there? They went there. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, yeah. Possessor definitely kind of grabs you and doesn't let go. It is a hundred and, and four minutes. It is a quick picture. It is an hour and a half and change with credits. Right. So it's not too long. And in a lot of ways, I didn't set this on loop. Now we're watching the Dune trailer. Uh, here's, here's here's where I get copyright flagged. Hold on, let me <laughs> fix this real quick. Loop done. Great. Anyway, uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it, it reminds me almost of like a short film because there, there's some bits that like you really could have tightened this up and it would have been a shorter, quicker picture. But it's expounded upon. Um, um, Brandon Cronenberg has done one other feature in in 2012. He did a movie called Antiviral. In 2016, he did a short film. Otherwise, this is kind of his first big one, and it is a stunning kind of display from somebody who hasn't made a feature film in eight years, and this is their second feature film ever. Um, there's a lot that works in this movie. There's also some stuff that is <laughs> incredibly dark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's worth mentioning uh, this is available on VOD. That's where we watched it. Uh, and, and almost For $5. anywhere you go, $5, yeah. Almost anywhere you go, you will get the uncut version, which is what we watched. There is a kind of standard version i think the only person that the only place you can get that is amazon prime everywhere else is the uncut version which is what we saw so uh as far as content warnings go this version is incredibly graphic uh a lot of of violence incredibly graphic violence nudity lots of nudity sexual activity uh i mean it, it kind of checks all the boxes for like twisted <laughs> twisted stuff yeah. but Let's talk about Possessor. So, our plot. Andy, you want to take a swing at it since that kind of gave us gave it to us at the yeah, top? Yeah. Uh, so, like you said, we meet Tasha Voss, who's a, a corporate uh, assassin, and they've they use this technology to become, you know, in take over someone's body and then t- uh, carry an assassin as that that person. Um, I think what part of what really works for this movie is that they. Like this is taken, the premise is taken very seriously and is treated very seriously. Like you feel like you're in a CIA room because they're right. like they're they doing play all, 110% straight. Always. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're they're doing all this background research and things are like, oh, here here's this target, here's his family, here's his wife, here's this is what you're going to be doing, this is how we're going to play it. Like it's it's very much like like you said, you feel like you're in a CIA room. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in it uh, as well. She's kind of the the handler uh, of the assassins and and brokers. Uh, the the deal you actually Andrea Riseborough isn't actually in the movie very much because she's possessing uh, the the kind of male character played by Christopher Abbott Thank who's you. tremendous in this uh, the only other thing I've seen him in is It Comes at Night and he's super good in it oh yeah 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 that's right yeah um, yeah so actually it, he kind of holds up a lot of the movie because he has to act like her um, right he's possess so like yeah, it, a, like it, yeah yeah i i think i think the plot is is great because like you said after after she's she has to be in this body for a long time to carry out this assassination and she does kind of get stuck um 
but in that causes a lot of problems itself. Like I said, it bogs down in weird parts. Like there, there's parts where he hangs out in an apartment for kind of overly long times. And a lot of times, like you said, it, it feels almost like an episode of Black Mirror. Like it almost maybe would have worked better as Right. As like that. you could have easily tightened this up to like a, a 45 or 60 minute picture and it would have worked. Like it would have been fine. In fact, maybe it's too long for what it is. But um, it's it's a very visceral kind of movie but it's not particularly cerebral it doesn't spend a lot of time asking you to think about the implications of somebody possessing another person's body it kind of just shows it to you and then cuts to credits and you're like oh god what did i just see mm-hmm. <laughs> uh andrea riseborough plays our main character tasia Voss. Uh, you most recently would have seen her in birdman the unexpected virtue of ignorance or mandy where she was the titular character mandy my favorite film of 2018 uh, she looks sickly in this film. <laughs> she is like a, a a a broken figure of a of a woman. She looks like she weighs ninety pounds wet. Her hair and her eyebrows are like jet white. She almost lo- she almost looks like she is 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 like a, a, what, what do you call that? Albino albinism. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she she looks like she has no character of her own there's no color in her air hair her eyes are white her skin is pale like she just looks like this just like sick sick individual i mean she looks terrible and this is the woman (laughs) who is possessing people and using their bodies to assassinate individuals uh the film opens with her possessing uh, a young woman on like a cheerleading squad they go to like a party and there, the the woman in the cheerleading squad immediately, viscerally, brutally murders a man in cold blood in front of everybody, and then essentially shoots herself in the head. And then we get introduced to Andrew bro. Uh, so it kicks off very, very quickly with like, oh my god, this is horrible. Gallons of blood, like, yeah. horribly graphic, like, just really swings for the fences. So one of the things that I, I found really interesting, like I said, that the, there's... Um, kind of what I think is a transgender a- allegory here where she in- inhibits the body of a man, but it's not just uh, about her wanting to be a man or anything like, like that. It's also just about being something that you're not. And in this case, it's it's also just being a killer uh, because, you know, she's an assassin and she's essentially just supposed to shoot the target and then like, and that's it. But she ends up choosing much more brutal methods to assassinate uh, these people instead of just and and even her job is like why why'd you choose to do that you know why why'd you stab this man to death when you could have just shot him um, yeah. you know so there's this whole idea of just becoming something that you're not and being allowed to do things that you wouldn't be allowed if you were in in your own body. Yeah, and I think that's a really important part of it. Uh, quickly after we're introduced to Andrea Riseborough, her supervisor, played by Jennifer Jason Lee from Hateful Eight, is what you probably would have most recently seen her in, uh, uh, explains that, hey... Uh, Single white female. Right, they go through this great... <laughs> it, it reminded me a lot of like The Matrix, this idea that you like pulled into a reality and pulled out of it, right? She's pulled out of this reality, out of this kind of machine, uh, and they, they have a quick session of like ex- identifying reality. They show her some 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 kind of kind of objects from home do you remember all this stuff they they identify that okay she she is who she is she remembers who she is apparently this idea of linking brains can really warp like how somebody thinks it can cause significant brain damage 
but she explains hey we got another big job right coming up soon so go do your thing uh we, we meet a couple characters in andrea's life uh, a couple family members and then she she goes back to the machine to jump in and do another job which is where we're introduced to kind of her alter ego for the rest of the film played by christopher abbott uh, a young affluent man who is she she possesses so she can murder his uh kind of stepfather to be who's the ceo of this big company right that's that's the whole deal you you possess this guy you're gonna murder the ceo of this company then you basically kill yourself and you come back here and we're right we're right back but that's that's where things start to take a turn that's where we start to she because she's going to be in this body for a few days and that's where we start to get this kind of melding of identity and and this question of who are you versus what are you you know who who is who is in charge and who isn't where does an idea come from you start to get questions of yeah like tra- transgender identity right male or female what is it to be what is being and you start to get some really really kind of kooky ideas interspersed with this film covered in in tension as she tries to navigate this man's life for a couple days as not him and people immediately recognize hey you're, you're being weird you're not being normal right you're not you're not acting yourself and then ultimately to to murder the ceo played by sean bean surprise appearance by him i did not know he was in this movie uh, he, only, <laughs> he only has a few scenes but you know he's sean bean he's great uh, and then ultimately she has to try to return to normal life, which is where most of the tension in the film is coming from. Um, our, our really four four main actors and actresses, Andrea Riseborough, Christopher Abbott, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Sean Bean, are fantastic. Sean Bean's barely in it, but but like, man, they're really good. Christopher Abbott is stunning in this movie. He's like, really got to carry this the more film. Work. Yeah. yeah, he's very good. He's very good in this movie. Andrea Riseborough is fantastic like i mean she's like a shell of, of who she is as an actress who i know her to be um all of them really fall into this well and i think that's due to cronenberg's direction i mean it's it's just dark enough and you're right it all is played so straight like it is so serious everything the stakes are on all the time like it never lets up for a minute like it's a real roller coaster ride yeah it's super intense and and it's important to also mention that there's this um uh, kind of subplot of Andrea Riseborough and uh, she's she has a small son and she's separated from from her father but they you know they kind of do do get along and but that's also a big um, you know it's a big part of the movie as well and she's she's a, she's a mother she's like a family person but she's also an assassin right this is a woman who like cannot shake the idea of being inside of another person's mind and like being in this machine like her work is all she does. I mean, she doesn't eat. She doesn't really sleep a lot. Like, and the few things she has in life that tire to reality, the, the objects she's shown whenever she comes out of the machine to kind of root her back in, in her character and who she is. And also her family at home. Those are like the, the few things that tie her to any kind of like actual identity. Um, so obviously they're, they're an important part of the film and Cronenberg doesn't shy away from that. Those, those are important to establish who she is as a character as well, because without those, I mean, she's just kind of this like ghost. She's, she's just this ghostly figure that kind of possesses people, um, for a living, which is, which is really intriguing. I want to talk about the technology in the film, how it's used. Um, this movie takes place in what appears to be some kind of dystopian alternate reality, not too far in the future from our own, and the reason that works is because you don't have a big budget. Cronenberg didn't have a big budget when he was making this feature. So mostly everything is normal. It's taking place in homes and apartments. But 
How he gets around that is using affluence, right? It's going to be in nice upper end places. I think most of the film was shot in Toronto. So you get just a little bit of architecture we're not all normally familiar with. It's just a little outside of the realm of normalcy, but it's essentially a city as you know it. And the the the, the technology in the machine is, is really clever. And the way they are kind of jacking in and out of people's brains. Think of the movie Primer. That's what this reminded me of. The technology, the devices you're seeing are not super high end. They're kind of cheap props, but they're played so straight and it's so serious that you take it serious. Like the tone around the film and what they're doing, possessing other people's bodies to brutally murder them. It, it, it's so real that like when you're actually looking at the machine and it looks like this goofy, like kind of plague doctor's mask thing she puts on, you take it. You, you take it as if it's a real thing and it's really effective. Like it's, it's great filmmaking. It, it can immerse you in this world while also kind of having this alternate 1984 esque uh, uh, technology with which the plot is carried out. It's, it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. The, the, the props are, are, are really um, practical and that it's low budget. Sometimes they're not entirely convincing. There is a particular, there's a certain mask that comes up at one point, which is actually kind of bad. It doesn't look very good, but a lot of it does. Oh, a yeah, lot of yeah, it yeah. does work. And the, and like I said, a big part of the film is the kind of melding of these two people that uh, between Andrew Riseborough and Christopher Abbott, they begin to kind of fuse, not into one person, but kind of uh, she she kind of be, begins to lose control. Not not only that she, that she's stuck in the in the body, but that he's kind of taking over her mind at the same time mm -hmm. um i do want to talk about the gore a little bit <laughs> oh man dude good lord i mean and the aggressive nudity the uncut version like shares more like in line with straight pornography than it does like <laughs> a rated r film there are there are like yeah uh the the gore in this film though is is really something to behold like i said at the top david cronenberg is an acclaimed body horror director that guy put stuff on screen people had never seen. He was melting corpses together, blowing heads up. I mean, Scanners, if you've never seen it, yeah. has arguably the greatest head explosion of all time in film. It's incredible. Like, I, I still cringe when I watch The Fly, uh, the Jeff Goldblum version. It's nuts. And if any of you have never seen Videodrome, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, this movie totally falls in, in that, in that vein. Cronenberg absolutely inherited that from his dad. I mean, very early on in the film, a character is shot in the face and you would just have streams of blood coming out of this person's face. Like not, obviously not in any kind of realistic capacity. It's played up for the sake of being body horror, but like it's aggressive gallons of blood coming out of people's bodies as they're getting brutally stabbed, like just really going for it. And on the one hand, it's a lot. And I feel like 80% of people out there are not going to be into it, but there's a special 20% of us with this horrible, morbid curiosity that see somebody's head explode on screen and go, that was awesome. Do it again. And I do kind of land in that camp a little bit. Uh, so that stuff totally worked for me, man. Oh my God. I was into the body horror. So, so good. Yeah. It, it's like I said, it's really brutal. It's really graphic. Um, and I've seen a lot of like, like, like you have, I've seen a lot of brutal and graphic movies and man, it's, it's kind of, it's really intense. It's up there. And like I said, there is, there is a lot of nudity and, and like sexual content, but it's not, it, it, like, it's not titillating. It's not meant to be like arousing or it's just kind no. of like showing, 
just a, 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 you know, a very common part of, of human existence. Um, but there is kind of like a psychosexual thing going on as well. It, it kind of fits with, with the theme, with the, the themes. Yeah. And it's worth, it's probably worth a rewatch for me in that capacity. Cause you're right. I didn't really pick up on that the first time around, but there's definitely some sexual content in there specifically when she is playing this man that raises questions about identity. And you're right. Like it, 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 <laughs> It makes you wonder, well, yeah, why would she do these things as this character when she doesn't have to, right? But she does, and it's because she's possessing somebody else and she can, or is it because she wants to, or is it because she's trying to blend in? Like, you never really get an answer, and you have to decide that for yourself. Possessor just kind of presents these events to you and then cuts to credits. It says, go ahead, what do you think? You know? And in that way, it's it's a film that, like Cronenberg's best body horror pictures, turns a mirror back on its audience and asks asks you as the viewer, is this something you enjoyed? Why? <laughs> Why did you like what you just saw, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is most interesting about it. Um, it. It leaves me sitting here twirling my beard, wondering, like, why was I into what I just saw? Because nobody <laughs> in their right mind should be. It is, it is a nightmarish picture. And in many ways, many of its elements, I mean, are, are right out of a nightmare. Some of some of the transition scenes, some of the, the kind of the warring of minds when she's kind of taking over this man are, are, are really intriguing. Um and there's, there's a fantastic, while I'm thinking about it, uh, transition scene when she kind of first takes over his body with this brilliant sped up stop motion effect of melting wax figures into each other that yeah. looks so cool, dude. It's 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 an effect right out of like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're melting Nazis heads, but it looks so good. And like it was so effective and I was so into what it was doing. I couldn't wait to buy the ticket and take the ride. So. Any other thoughts on Possessor? Because I feel like I've talked way too much about it. I think I think I'm ready for recommendations. Andy, would you recommend Possessor? Yeah, we yeah, have with some strong caveats. Um, it yeah. is and or content warning. Um, it's extremely violent. Um, that that's basically it. It's extremely violent. Uh, so if you can get over the the horror and the gore of that part, I I was really into it. Like it it it's doing the, the psychological thriller horror thing. Uh, it's asking a, a lot of questions. It does kind of have some slow moments, uh, which kind of go on for too long, but you know, it's not very long. It's only about an hour. Uh, what is it? An hour and 35 minutes, or hour yeah. and 40 minutes. It's a quick watch. Yeah. Yes. So it's not, it's not too long. It could either be tightened up or just kind of fleshed out a, a little bit more, but it was, uh, it's definitely one of the more intense things I've seen in a while, especially this year where we haven't had a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I would re- recommend it with some strong caveats. It, it, I, I would recommend it as well. I, I think Possessor is a really smart picture. I, I don't know where Brandon Cronenberg is headed, but it reminds me of like, it reminds me of like the Safdie brothers good time before they made uncut gems. Like there is, there is some brilliance here. And if he kind of takes it in the right way with his next picture, he will get more money. Studios will green light another movie from him. We could see some really incredible stuff coming out of this kid. Uh, this is a fantastic second film. Cause like I said, he made one in 2012 called antiviral that I'm probably going to go try to watch this week because I enjoyed this one this much, but with caveats, extreme gore, extreme violence, extreme, extreme nudity, 
but some really cool stuff going on at the center of it. So if you're interested at all, if you've heard this review and you're intrigued and you want to know more, it is five bucks to rent this movie on pretty much any service. I can't recommend it enough. Don't watch with your parents, for God's sake. <laughs> you should probably watch it at home in a dark room. But man, Possessor is super cool. I was really into this movie. So that's Possessor. And that's our show. That's the whole thing. You've done it. You've made it to the end. Congratulations. Uh, we learned a lot about each other. And most importantly, we learned about a lot about ourselves. Andy, what are we watching next week? Uh, so we're going to be watching uh, a couple things. The first thing coming out on Hulu on the 20th, I, I believe, is a film called Run, uh, which stars Sarah Paulson and I just had it pulled up. Uh, Kira Allen and um, Kira Allen plays uh, she's a foster kid who's in a wheelchair um, and Sarah Paulson is her foster mother and she begins to think that um, maybe she's actually been kidnapped at some point and so she's going to try to escape however she's in a wheelchair this is going to be a difficult thing for her to do so it's it looks like a serious horror film horror thriller um, so that's on Hulu this Friday and then and I just spring, sprung this on Zach uh, Mank, which is the Netflix film about uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, the writer of Citizen Kane, is uh, going to actually be available in some theaters around town. So we're going to be uh, watching that sometime uh, this weekend or Monday. I um, think that's a great idea. We should absolutely go see Mank. I love Fincher, <laughs> man. I want to see Mank really bad. I think it's going to be a super good time. And definitely in theaters like is the way to watch that movie. I think. Yeah, I, I just happened to be checking what was coming there this weekend. And uh, look at that. So uh, we're going to be checking out a Netflix film at the theater. Yep. David Fincher has not made a movie in six years. The last one was Gone Girl. And it was super good. And you all liked it. All right. So go see Mank. Support the man. All right. <laughs> By God. He needs the help. Well, watch it when it comes out on Netflix at least. Yeah, that too. And we'll be, uh, you know, reviewing it next week. So we'll let you know how it is. Mank, it's going to be good stuff. And Run. Not super excited about Run, but I thought it was going to be like Mommy Dead and Dearest, right? That HBO documentary about, uh, what is it, Gypsy Rose Blanchard and D.D. Blanchard? Did they make a, I don't remember. a fictional version of that recently? It's the mom who, like, told her daughter, you're sick and you have to take all these meds and stuff. And then the daughter found out, oh, I'm not sick at all. My mom's just crazy or whatever. Oh. I kind of thought that's what Run was going to be, but you're right. It seems like it's no. Gonna I think be it's more thing. of a kidnapping situation. I think so. And Sarah Paulson does some great horror. She's she's super good. She's got those striking eyes and that long face. So I'm excited to see both. Also, at some point, Andy, we're watching Videodrome. It's going to happen, man. That's right. <laughs> I got Videodrome on the Criterion Collection uh, Blu-ray from way back in the day. Uh, Andy's never seen it. At some point, we're going to watch it. It seemed like a great fit after the Cronenberg picture we watched this week because it's from Brandon Cronenberg's dad, David Cronenberg, the OG body horror director. But we're watching Mank. We'll get to Videodrome at some point. If you enjoyed the show, check us out on Facebook. It's where we live stream our episodes every single Tuesday, except for, you know, holidays, the occasional week we take off. Uh, we're doing it at, what, 5 p.m. CST usually, Central Standards, so you can check us out, chatting on live streams. Uh, we do try to read comments on the air when we get them, but normally it's been quite a, pretty quiet lately, so come come chime in and see what we got going on. Write us in, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com, or check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Com and tell us what you've been watching. Tell us what you thought of these movies, or if you have any recommendations, or I don't know, trailers we should look at, correspondence, news. We'll talk about it all, I promise. We'll do, we'll do it live on the air. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and our episodes are uploaded to YouTube in full. So if you want to check out our videos, you can see what we got going on over there at Offscript Film Review. And we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all these usual podcast spots. If you want to help out the show, the biggest thing you can do is just subscribe. 
Subscribe to get new episodes of Offscript every single week. Rate and review if you can. That would also help us a ton as well. And uh, just just general practice, rate and review all the podcasts you listen to. It's just kind of good for all podcasts. I, I, would, I right. would encourage you to do that whenever possible. It helps out everybody. A rising tide raises all ships. And with that, I think that's everything. Uh, Andy, that's, 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 yeah. I believe, that's I believe that's the show. From all of us at Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.